Hey, what's going on, Warrior? It is Jeff here from Warrior Life, and welcome to podcast episode number 439. And what might just be a real wake-up call for you for how you're training with your firearm to be warrior-ready against a real attack. Now, this week, we're going to be digging into stress shooting, what it is, how it can save your life in a real gunfight, and some pretty cool drills that you can do right in your own home that are going to prepare you far better than even your best day down at the live fire range. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. You know, it's hard to find anyone who owns a firearm for personal defense who hasn't heard of the terms freeze, fight, or flight, referring to how your brain and your body will respond to the natural stress of a no-warning ambush attack. Now, of course, anyone who's ever sent bullets down range naturally assumes that freezing in place just isn't going to happen to them. And yet, this assumption is most likely coming not from experience in a life-or-death assault, but rather the confidence they've built up in their mind about their own shooting abilities and their level of preparedness in dealing with an attack. But as we like to say, when danger strikes, you're not going to rise to the level of your expectations, but rather fall to the level of your training. So how do you train for the stress of a real gunfight, especially when your attacker has the advantage of the element of surprise on their side? That's what we're here to find out in today's show. Hey there, Warriors. Jeff Anderson here, Executive Director of Warlife.com and the Warlife Academy. And joining us today to reveal more about your adrenal response to the stress of an attack and the best ways to incorporate stress shooting into your firearms training program is my buddy, Mike Ox, or just Ox, as we like to call him. So, Ox, welcome to the program, man. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is 457th uh, show I think I've had you on. And we've done a bunch of workshops together, too. And I love getting your stuff out to to our audience here. Um, listen, guys, if you've not heard any of our other interviews with Ox before, um, I've nicknamed him the mad scientist of the tactical firearms world for a reason. He has developed the most creative and cutting edge training tactics that I've ever seen. And I'm talking about in and out of the military. He is a competitive pistol shooter with the fifth fastest recorded IDPA classifier time in the world, drawing from the holster with a subcompact pistol. Not one of those fancy schmancy little match pistols. Um, he is also a best-selling author, and he is continuously sought out for his advice and consulting by strategic planners at the Pentagon, as well as special operations personnel from the U.S. and allied countries and the U.S. tactical law enforcement personnel as well. Now, his revolutionary new brain-based shooting system known as Praxis has proven so effective at preparing everyone from beginner level to pro shooters for the realities of a street ambush attack that they've been reviewing it now with both the NRA and the U.S. military for use in their own training. So for more information about Ox and his unique firearms training approach, go ahead and visit him at praxisgunfighttraining.com. Now, Mike, for those unaware of the concept of stress shooting and how, how important it is for training for a real gunfight, maybe just explain a little bit about what it is and why it's necessary to add to their training. Yeah, it... So stress is a, a huge ball of twine. There's all sorts of aspects to it. But basically, the, the more different the way that we practice is from the way that we need to perform, uh, the bigger drop in performance we're going to have. And so what that means is if we do all of our practice at low stress, 
when we switch over to high stress, we're going to have a big drop. And we've seen numbers where it drops from 80, 90 percent hits down to 20 to 50 percent hits. And uh, one of the biggest things is we have a drop in judgment. So our ability to make accurate shoot, don't shoot decisions, it slows down and it's not as accurate. And those are all bad things. And so the if we kind of think about it, it Back in the 80s and 90s, uh, when you go to a library, you go to a card catalog and you'd find out where a book was and then you'd go start searching for the book. And if it was a very, very thin book, it'd be hard to find. But if it was a thick book with a fat spine, it'd be really easy to find. And our memories under stress are kind of that way, too. Uh, something that we have practiced over and over and over again is going to be like a book with a thick spine, and it's going to be really easy to find under stress. Something that we haven't practiced a lot is going to be like a book with a thin spine, and we're going to be struggling trying to find it. And so what we want to do is develop skills that we're going to need under stress in our training so that when the time comes, we can actually do them. Mm. I love that analogy. I had I'd never heard that before. I mean, that's a I think that's a really good way to look at this. It's very it's a very simplified approach to it. But I really like it. But I think that you know a lot of shooters out there, like they've heard this before, like freeze, fight, or flight, and they understand there's an adrenal response. Like enough enough firearms trainers now are really starting to make it part of their training. I, I think I think our the training has evolved to that point where I think it's just commonly I, I think it's commonly known that those are going to be factors. But I still think that there's an overconfidence there of what's happening. And I think that the I think it has changed the training regimen of a, of a lot of instructors, but I don't know if they really understand all the dynamics of it and how the training also prepares people for it. I mean, how have you seen? I mean, I know you, I know you work with a lot of different instructors out there. Instructors take part in your classes and they and they network with you. How are most gun owners out there currently training? for that stress of a real gunfight? They're not. Uh, to, to start with, most, most firearms owners do not practice at all. So most firearms owners are not shooters. And the people who are shooting are normally training in ways that they help with shooting. They don't help with fighting with a gun. So they're learning how to punch holes in papers they're not learning how to stop a threat with a gun. And uh, what I mean by that is if, if we look at video of people who have used a firearm to stop a lethal threat, uh, what we see is movement. We see chaos. And what we don't see is somebody standing with a perfect stance and slowly shooting holes in paper or a stationary target. And the more differences there are with how we train and how we want to perform, uh, again, the, the bigger our performance is going to drop off. So, so then what is, I mean, to get everybody kind of off on the right foot here, what is the, the right way as far as like a direction goes for the reality of like dealing with combat stress in a real attack? What's, what's a better approach that shooters should be looking at incorporating into their training? That's a that's a great question. Uh, and people have been trying to figure this out for a long time and they've done things 
in an attempt to add stress to training. And one of the biggest things is physical exertion, either running before taking shots or uh, doing things with kettlebells or sandbags or just doing bodyweight exercises, things like that. And the fact is that exercise stress is quite different than the physiological stress, the, the stress that you're going to experience in a life or death situation. And sometimes I'll demo this. I'll, I'll, I'll run until my heart rate gets up to 170, 175 beats per minute. And then I'll pull out my pistol and shoot one whole groups. And the, the fact is that that type of elevational heart rate and the chemicals that are released, again, they're just completely different. With physiological stress, you can end up with your, your heart rate going up to well over 200 uh, in, I mean, almost instantly in just a few seconds. Uh, again, because of the chemicals that are dumped into the, the body and the, the panic response. And so what we want to do is figure out ways that we can physiologically stress ourselves in training and do it in a way that uh, allows for adaptation over time rather than creating aversion. And that's kind of a, a, it's something that I harp on a lot. It's called stress dosing. And stress dosing is the, the concept that uh, basically if you uh, don't have enough stress in your training, you're not going to learn. Uh, the brain's shut off. The brain's not activated and no learning happens. You're just going through the motions for the sake of going through the motions. Then we end up with this zone where the stress level is causing the brain to adapt causing the brain to grow, causing the brain to develop new skills. And that's where we want to be. And if we go beyond that, then all of a sudden uh, we end up creating aversion to the activity. Uh, we see increased injuries and we see burnout. And so it's really important to keep things in that uh, ideal range. And it's the same thing as with, with weightlifting or uh, basically any activity in life. If we don't have enough challenge, there's no growth. If we have the right challenge, there's growth. If we have too much challenge, uh, there's burnout and injury. And so some of the ways that we can do this are uh, relatively simple. Uh, there's things like uh, an ice presser. Uh, there's uh, serial threes and serial sevens, which sounds super simple. It's counting backwards from 100 by either three or seven while you're performing a skill. And that stressor is enough that I have seen tough grown adults cry while doing it. And while they're counting backwards from a hundred by either threes or sevens and simultaneously trying to perform another skill. And uh, the, the cold presser is where you put either your hands or your feet in ice cold water until it becomes unbearable. And then you start performing the skill. Uh, we can do air hunger, which is basically emptying your lungs and holding your breath until you start to panic and then performing a skill. Uh, there's some fun things we can do with electrical shock. <laughs> May depend on whether you're on the, the receiving end or not and whether it's fun. But and, uh, and then one of the easiest ones has to do with fears that we're born with.
And depending on uh, what school of thought you're, you're looking at, there's two or three uh, fears that everybody is born with. And they're falling, loud noises, and objects coming at your face. And all three of those exist when you're shooting, and they exist in an amplified manner in a gunfight. And so we can add those to our training, and maybe as simply as uh, trying to go through the motions of shooting, the fundamentals of shooting while standing on one leg and shooting at an odd angle. And that will give us exposure to stresses that we're going to have in a real gunfight in a very controlled, very calm manner and make us more able to uh, perform with balance challenges when we add 5, 10, 15 other stresses on top of it. So it sounds like there's there's actually two parts to this um, because it, it looks like, you know, one is to try and replicate stress as much as possible but done in a progressive way. And I, and I get that too. I mean, I get that there's also, I mean, I think it's a good analogy for bodybuilding. I also think that when we look at, like I, I like video games, like shooter, you know, shooter type games. And I also, we also like to inject gamification into our own training because if it's something isn't fun, then, you know, most people aren't going to do it. And I think the same thing goes with like with firearms training. If it is, if it's not challenging enough, it gets boring if it's too challenging, you feel defeated. Nobody likes to feel defeated. So it ends up becoming something that you don't really go after. So, so it sounds like the you know, first part is really just like, how do you, how do you do these, these micro doses of the stress? How do you, how do you replicate it where it's just challenging enough? But then the second part is really, okay, now you've got it. Now, how do you train under that stress level so that you can? become calmer when your body does recognize stress and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. What are, what are some ways then that like a gun owner can start to incorporate this method into their training? Even if it's, I mean, even if it's from home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, what we want to do is figure out as many ways as possible to do this from home, because then we're not dependent on uh, big budgets. We're not dependent on other people's schedules and it's way, way simpler to do. So going back to falling being one of our inbred fears, uh, falling is the number two cause of accidental death in the world after automobiles. Before automobiles, as long as man was alive, it was the number one cause of accidental death in the world. And so the brain is hardwired to avoid falling. And we can uh, take advantage of that by, again, adding balance challenges to our shooting drills. And if we look at the, the perfect stance that people use for shooting, it exists in large part so that we don't fall over, uh, so that we can manage recoil and have, not have to move any more than absolutely necessary. We're using the structure of the body to transfer that uh, recoil down to the ground. And uh, if we can just get rid of that, uh, instead of standing with a perfect stance, stand with your feet 
perfectly together, stand with them off to the side, uh, stand on one leg, uh, do things like that so that uh, we're adding that balance challenge to our training. And a lot of people will discount this because of the fact, uh, especially if they've been in a high, high stress situation, because the stress of standing in your living room and losing balance is nothing like having your life on the line. But here's what happens. Uh, under stress, in a life or death situation, when we're trying to move to avoid a threat, the brain is going to prioritize balance. And when it does that, it sacrifices vision. And all of a sudden, we go from having smooth 4K high-definition vision to choppy, grainy, eight millimeter vision. And if we're trying to aim and put accurate hits on target, uh, which would you rather have? Uh, 8K home movie video or 4K HD? And the answer is obviously you want the 4K HD. And the way that we get that under stress when we're moving is with better balance. Because if we've developed our balance at home in training, now all of a sudden our brain is comfortable moving at dynamic or moving at odd angles and being explosive and you're going to have full resolution with your vision. And now all of a sudden you can make shots while moving and it's uh, the brain's not experiencing the same threat from balance that it was before. All the other threats are still there. But the threat from balance is not. So you got better vision. You're able to stop the threat quicker. I love that. That's that's brilliant. I think that most people don't. That's what I mean by like other people don't understand, including myself. I didn't realize that the brain has that that tendency to prioritize uh, by dumping vision and maintaining balance. So that makes a a big difference, and I gives a a good a good reason for getting that wobble board that I've been wanting to get. Also, so I can justify that. I wouldn't get a wobble board. I okay. All right. Next. Uh, okay. What's up? What's up with that? So wobble boards. Um, if you do testing before and after using a wobble board, the vast majority of people are going to be weaker and have a uh, narrower range of motion. The, the brain sees a wobble board as a threat that is not in the green zone. It's, it's going past uh, the adaptive phase and so there's two parts to it. One is, uh, does the brain like it? And the second thing is, does the skill that we learned on a wobble board transfer over to anything, anything at all in life? And the answer is no, it does not. There's, there's really nothing in life that the wobble board simulates. And so you're much, much better off doing balance drills, um, standing on the edge of a book where you've got uh, part of your foot on the floor and part of your foot on the book so that it's, it's uneven. Uh, doing drills uh, like that on uneven surfaces, not completely unstable surfaces. Good intel, man. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad, you, I'm glad I spoke up. I'm glad you interrupted me. So that's awesome. Uh, thanks. Oh, so, yeah. So what are some ways then? I mean, obviously, ranges are going to be pretty, pretty limited in what they're going to let you do when you're there, depending upon the range that somebody's able to go to. But what methods do you have 
that people can use at the gun range to incorporate more of this um, that's still not going to like make them get kicked off the range and, and, uh, and banned. Yeah. The, the majority, so you can do shooting training at the range. Uh, Gunfight training is really not appropriate for the range. It's not appropriate when you've got multiple people on the line. It's not appropriate to learn with live fire. Uh, you really want to learn it with dry fire where the, the consequences of a mistake are minimal. And with gunfight training, you really want to find out where your performance envelope is, uh, just how far you can push things, how far can you lean before you fall. And those are all things that we don't want to do with live fire. We want to find those limits. We want to learn to perform within those limits with dry fire. And we can do it with airsoft. We can do it with paintball guns. We can even do it with sim guns. But we really do not want to do it with live fire. Uh, once you have developed the skills and you know your performance envelope, uh, then uh, if you're working with someone who can basically be a gut check for whether what you're doing is safe or not, then you can transition over to over to live fire. But uh, for the most part, you don't need to. The, the ranges that we're talking about with um, dynamic movement and putting hits on target, you can do with uh, non-lethal platforms. You can do with lasers. You can do with um, uh, less lethal projectiles. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's cheaper and it's more effective and it's way, way safer. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, most of most everybody has heard that you should be dry firing at home. Most people, most people don't. We talk about that in our in our the workshop that we do, uh, you and I do, and um, and that's like I think that's the best place I think for people to start. Um, one, I think it's a huge eye opener, I and mean, we get a lot of great comments on that. I know from from that workshop, and I, and people really need to check it out. Like I think it will revolutionize how you think about your own training. When it comes to personal defense, not marksmanship training, but like if you own a weapon for and it doesn't matter if it's a handgun or I mean, the, the workshop that we go through is with a handgun and and like using concealed carry. But no matter what weapon platform it is, it's a it's a real it's a real game changer when it comes to how you think about your training to defend yourself and your family. Um, it's a free workshop. Everybody hasn't if you haven't been through it before. Um, it, we get rave reviews on it all the time. You can go over to our website for that uh, that's set up for Mike in the workshop over at praxisgunfighttraining.com. It's free training. You don't need to worry about. Uh, there's just you know it's it's content. It's it's awesome content, and we get even instructors will come back and say that it's changed how they how they even look at training their their people as well. So um, everybody out there, if you want to take the next step, if you want to level up your training. And do it the right way, because I think most people that I talk to have a false confidence in their abilities, even the ones that go to the range all the time, because of how you're training. Not that you're training. Obviously, the more training, the better, unless it's the wrong training, in which case you're really just developing instinctive skills that aren't going to necessarily be there for you or are just the wrong skills and you're just creating training scars. So highly recommend to go and check out the workshop. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I know we've got the workshop going on this week also. So I'm hoping that everybody signs up for that. Again, everybody, 
praxisgunfighttraining.com to go check it out. And until our next broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train, survive, live like a warrior. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.